0: Today's scripture reading is taken from various places all over the book of Proverbs. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Christ City. My name is Heath. I'm part of the team here. I'm not the regular guy, in case you're wondering. Uh, I get the privilege of helping Jake with uh, launching New Church in Christ City, East Vancouver. So it's really exciting that I can be here with you to see many of you I haven't seen for a a few months. Um, Before we get going, I really feel that we need to start in prayer. God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to look at your word. We thank you for the book of Proverbs. We thank you that we can look back to it and seek wisdom and understanding. So in that, I pray that you would be glorified in all the things that are said. Amen. Now, I have a really nerdy confession to make. Um, We as a family really like adventure stories. Now, whether it's our movies or our reading or our our habits, we, we, we like to seek out particularly stories of man versus nature. So, with that, in the year 2000, if you can remember that far back, some of you probably were in diapers, I wasn't, uh, there was a movie. Now, usually I wouldn't use a movie reference that's 20 years old, but I think the metaphor is compelling, so we will. So the, the title of the movie was Castaway, And it starred Tom Hanks, and he, he played the role of a, of a marooned FedEx employee. He was stuck on this deserted island in the South Pacific. And uh, so, so I was really excited to see this movie. So Mariko and I, my wife, uh, we, we walk, if you can believe it, to the DVD store. Remember Blockbuster when it was a thing? Yeah, we couldn't just click download. No, we walked to the movie store. We picked up our copy of the DVD before Blu-ray. And we invite my sister-in-law over with this massive bowl of popcorn. And we're getting ready to watch this 143-minute epic adventure. Now, the movie was good. But it really, it wasn't what I expected. See, the character, Tom Hanks, he, he survives primarily in silence. It was a movie of very little or no dialogue. So my wife and my sister-in-law decided to fill the void with verbiage. So I'm thinking like, well, you guys shut up, you know. Anyway, instead of an action-packed adventure of man versus nature, what I watched was an existential struggle of man versus his mind. If you've ever seen the movie, you know that Tom Hanks, in an effort to survive and cope, he makes a friend, doesn't he? And he makes a friend of this washed-up volleyball that he names Wilson. Now, Wilson is pretty key. Wilson helps Tom find food. Wilson helps Tom start a fire. Wilson even helps Tom pull an abscessed tooth. Now, in the heart-wrenching epic of the climax of the movie, Wilson helps Tom build a raft for his escape. So they're floating away, and a storm comes up, and Tom falls asleep. And, and when he wakes up, he realizes in horror that Wilson has fallen overboard. And so we, we see him jump into the water, and he's hanging on to the rope that he'd made on his raft. He's swimming out. He's swimming out. And there's an epic moment in this movie when you realize, when he realizes that he has to make a choice between his raft, which is his freedom, and his friend, Wilson. So we see Tom in the water, yelling in desperation, Wilson! Wilson, I'm sorry! And so this scene ends with Tom on his raft, in the fetal position, weeping for the loss of his friend. Tom Hanks is probably the only actor that could make you cry over a volleyball. (laughs) This story, as crazy and as weird as it is, highlights a basic, fundamental human need that we have. The desire to know and to be known. In other words, the desire for a friend. We need friends. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, describes friendship this way. He says, friendship is unnecessary. Like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that gives value to survival. As weird and as crazy as the story is of Tom and Wilson... This highlights our fundamental need perfectly. Tom's relationship with Wilson gave value to his survival. For us, for survival in Vancouver, friendship gives us value. It gives us value in our day-to-day emotional drudgery. So if friendship is so important then. If this is true, why are we so lonely? If we believe that friendship improves our quality of life, then why do we not foster and grow it as a culture and as a society? Why do we not value friendship as much as we should? Why does Vancouver have the reputation of being a lonely and unfriendly city? Now, this is a hugely important topic for us today. Listen to what a recent global uh, news article said by a psychologist. The psychologist said loneliness is a major health risk like obesity, like smoking. And public health programs should address it in the same way. So in order for us to understand and perhaps point our way to a solution, we actually don't need a public health program. We actually need to look back at what an ancient book of wisdom has to say about friendship. We need to once again hear what the book of Proverbs tells us what true friendship really is. Because as the story of Tom and Wilson tells us that Friendship is the cure for loneliness. Friendship gives us value to our survival. In the depths of loneliness, Proverbs gives us answers. So this morning, we're going to look at Proverbs, and we're going to look about friendship in three ways. We're going to look at the characteristics of a true friend, the vulnerability of of friendship, and thirdly, how friendship actually can be rekindled, revived, or in the case of Vancouver, recreated. So before we get to our first point, we actually need to kind of set the stage. I like to read. So there's this, like, at the beginning of a fantasy novel or a science fiction novel, you have this map at the beginning. So we actually need to create a map so we can understand. So we need to understand that this word friend or friendship in Proverbs is the same word as neighbor. Wisdom and righteousness is defined in Proverbs is skill in relationship, right? So when we see friend... Or neighbor, the difference is in what type of relationship it is. Either we have an emotional connection or we have a spatial proximity connection. We need to understand that both of these are relational. A friend, then, is someone with an emotional connection or bond, and a neighbor is someone with a physical connection or bond. Both of them are relational. Sometimes it's confusing because they can be the same thing at the same time. So to clarify, in Proverbs, a friend is an emotional bond that's relational, and a neighbor is a proximity bond that's in relation. Are you guys with me? Okay. So to utilize our rubric that we've been working through of Proverbs, of wisdom in Proverbs, we need to, I suggest that we define righteousness like this. A righteous, wise friend then is a neighbor, or friend or neighbor is one who disadvantages himself or herself to the advantage of others. The wicked or foolish friend or neighbor is one who advantages him or herself at the expense of others. So with this map in our minds, let's walk down the path and see what Proverbs has to say about friendship. Turn with me to Proverbs 27.10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house who is in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin." But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 26 says, many a man proclaim his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Probably the most important characteristic of a wise friend is loyalty. Now, I have a best friend. He, uh, I've known this guy since we were three years old. And every few years we do something crazy and weird and stupid. So, a couple of years ago, we decided it would be a really good idea in June to ride our motorcycles all the way to San Antonio, Texas. Now, it's really cool when you're thinking about it in Montana, that's great. But when you hit 45 degrees in Arizona, that's not so cool. So, we find ourselves at this Tex Mex place in San Antonio. We're eating fajitas and I look over and my friend's kind of melancholy and I'm like, dude, are you okay? And he looks at me with tears in his eyes and he says, I just wanted to thank you. For what? Like, I didn't pay for your gas. He says, no, you've been my friend as long as anybody. You know me. You've seen my struggles. You've seen my heartaches and you still love me. Thank you. See, a loyal friend is one who knows all your ugly bits. Protects you, one who actually knows how to hurt you the deepest and doesn't. A consistent friend is one who chooses you, who says, no matter what you're going through, I am going to be there for you, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. In a loyal friend, there's trust. In a loyal friend, there's forgiveness. And in a loyal friend, there's acceptance. Ray Lord Ortland, he's a pastor in Nashville. He, he expresses really well this, this idea of friendship in Proverbs. He says that a true friend knows who you really are and does not walk away. A loyal friend is not a fair-weather friend. He or she knows who you are, one who is consistent with you. Despite your flaws, stands beside you. A real friend is sacrificial in his dealings with you. The next characteristic that we must look at is that of being tactful. I probably suffer a little bit with this one, but anyway. Proverbs 25, 17 says, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Okay. So we lived in, many of you know, we lived in Greece for a number of years as missionaries. And there was a constant scene. It was like a revolving door of guests coming and going. So we as a joke in the family, we had this proverb of our own that we would say, House guests are like fish. They smell after two or three days. <laughs> See, this proverb says that real friends don't overstay their welcome. Proverbs 25 20 says, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. That's an image, isn't it? 2714 says, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. Ask my wife about that one. In other words, these two proverbs state that the real a real friend a real friend speaks tactfully, with the right words, at the right time, with the appropriate emotions. Proverbs 26, 18 to 19 says Like a madman who throws firebands, arrows, and death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. And this is one I struggle with. How often do we push a little too far in our, our practical jokes? I love practical jokes, but yeah, a real friend is not overstaying your welcome. A real friend knows the right words to say, and also a real friend knows when a joke has gone too far. All of these speak of words and actions that are tactful. A true friend, therefore, is not only loyal having your back, but he or she is one that loves you and is tactful, respecting your day to day interactions. And thirdly, a wise friend provides good counsel. A wise friend, This is hard because, because a wise friend that gives you good counsel, sometimes it's not easy to hear, right? Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27.9 says, Oil and perfume make the glad heart, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen the juggernaut here. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. My wife teases me that I really only have one hobby, and that hobby is collecting hobbies. So one of the plethora of hobbies that I've collected is blacksmithing. There is something very tangible, very uh, cathartic about having sticking a really ugly lump of steel into a forge, heating it up till it's red hot, and then hammering on it on your anvil with something just with great force. And and what's in your mind can actually come out in the steel. That's not what this text is talking about. This text is talking about whitesmithing. Whitesmithing comes after blacksmithing. And it's the technical term for stock removal. So in blacksmithing, you create the shape. In whitesmithing, you remove all the ugly bits. It's usually in the process, if you're making a knife of, of Honing, sharpening, polishing. I cannot tell you how many pieces of projects that I have at the blacksmithing stage, not the whitesmithing stage. It has to be a pretty special piece for me to spend the effort to cut off the pieces, to correct the shape, to make sure it's straight, to sharpen it with something that's abrasive and remove bits to actually create a blade that's beautiful. These proverbs say that a true friend is one who sees your potential. A true friend sees your value and is willing to take the time and the effort to sharpen you, to remove pieces from you that are undesirable. You know, that's not easy to receive, is it? When was the last time you really reveled in the idea of being corrected on something? Uh, no hands? Yeah, go figure. You see, for order for us to be sharpened, to be honed, to be polished, parts of us need to be cut off and removed. Sometimes we don't even see these things in ourselves. But when you stand back about 10 miles away, they're glaringly obvious to everybody else. In Proverbs, a wise and true friend confronts you on your blind spots and helps you grow. Good counsel in Proverbs isn't just about good decision-making. It's about shaping. It's about polishing. It's about honing. It's taking an ugly piece of steel and making it into a beautiful piece of art. A wise friend in Proverbs, therefore, is loyal, one who is tactful. And stemming from that, one loves you so much that gives you the good counsel, even though it's difficult for you to hear. A righteous friend takes the risk, disadvantages himself to advantage you. Proverbs 26 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man, who can find? Do you have friends in your life that are like this, that exhibit these characteristics? We must now turn to the unfortunate reality of the vulnerability of friendship. We've looked at how Proverbs articulate what a wise and, and a tactful friend is, but now we must turn to where it can all go wrong. Interestingly, in life, some of our greatest strengths are conversely some of our greatest weaknesses, aren't they? We know this truism, right? So the same holds true with friendship. Betrayal is the greatest weakness of a wise and true friend. Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. 16.28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. And I have many friends that I consider close, valuable, but I am not immune to betrayal. When I was 18 years old, I worked at a camp on Quadra Island, and for that whole summer, I taught canoeing and kayaking. And my bunk mate was a Greek guy. Uh, we became fast and furious friends, and we, you know, as Dickens describes, it was the best of times; it was the worst of times. You know, we we did practical jokes together, and we, you know, lamented over each other's relational problems. 13 years later, in a weird and crazy story, it is this man is the reason why my family, I moved them all up and packed them all up and went to Greece as missionaries. So we get on the ground in Greece and the organization there had what they called the buddy system. So, you know, imagine moving to a different country, different language, different alphabet. So you're you're totally like lost. And, you know, you have the skill set of a language like me, which is like nothing, non-existent. So the buddy system was really good. It helped you be able to pay your rent, to buy a car, to actually acquire a house, everything from groceries to every practical logistical thing that you could possibly imagine. So my buddy, because I had a prior relationship, he became my buddy. Now, everything was great. And about a year later, it took a really drastic turn for the worse. Uh, there was a new guy that came on the scene. He was a 19-year-old guy. And he was he a was qualified guy. I, I liked the guy. But he was being touted as the new executive assistant to the boss. So here's me at about 32 years old with the prospect of being told what to do by a 19 year old. Now I was before that I'd been an electrician and, and I'd run crews of 50 to 60 guys. And so that was hard for my ego to take. So following protocol, I went to the buddy system and I said to my friend, look, I probably will have problems with this. I need you to be praying for me. I, I, I might be jealous. I might be frustrated by the situation. Will you please pray for me and help me navigate this so that I don't become a burden to the organization? I thought the buddy system was like a true friend. Boy, was I wrong. But a week later, I get a call from the boss. Now, you have to understand, I was pretty excited. He wanted to go for coffee with me. I'm like, I'd been there a year. And this guy had not had the time to have coffee with me. So so naive me, I'm like super excited. I'm like, yeah, I'm going for coffee with the boss. So I show up early. I have, you know, I'm into my second Greek coffee already. And I'm just like buzzing and I'm, and my boss rolls up and two guys get out of the car. I'm like, hmm, okay, that's odd. Should have clued in. So they sit down, typical Greek kind of greetings. And then I hear this. I'll cut to the chase, Heath. I hear you're having serious problems with so-and-so, the 19-year-old. We're here to sort that out. A little piece of me died right there. What followed was a stripping of ministerial duty, put on a kind of like a ministerial probation, uh, and finally, the words that I will never, ever forget. In reality, Heath, we're tired of all your stupid ideas. Our ministry is fine. All we want from you is to just shut up and do as you're told. These weren't the words of a faithful friend. I sat there, almost catatonic, unable to kind of formulate a response. And that takes a lot. My heart bled out right there, realizing that my friendship died that day. Those words wounded me deeply. See, I realized in that moment the true nature of my friend's betrayal. Not only did he not keep things in confidence, but he didn't have my back when I needed him. He was strategizing on how to control my behavior instead of speaking faithful words of a friend, I realized that he's the one that stabbed me in the back and left me for dead. Things never really recovered from that day, and I left the organization two years later angry, depressed, and utterly broken. Now, lest I feel tempted to feel sorry for myself, I realize that this experience of betrayal is not unique to me. Every single person here if we have been vulnerable with anybody else, we've been betrayed. You have been stabbed in the back like I've been stabbed in the back. You were all carrying wounds and scars just like I am. Betrayal is real. Betrayal kills, and it prevents us from trusting. It prevents us from opening up and allowing real friendship to flourish moving forward. We are lonely because we regard. We are lonely because we distance ourselves from vulnerability. We are lonely and we really can't open up to allow real friendship to grow, we're afraid, really, to be hurt again, aren't we? We're afraid to trust. Betrayal is a large cloak that is difficult to carry around. My friend, for his advantage, disadvantaged me, and that was betrayal. The other significant vulnerability to friendship is that, in the realm of our finances, Put it another way, materialism weakens the bonds of friendship. Proverbs has a lot to say about cash flow, uh, but here's a few. Proverbs three, twenty seven and twenty-eight. Do not withhold goods from those whom to who it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. 14 twenty one and twenty two say The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. And Proverbs nineteen 4, 6, and 7. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend of a man who gives gifts. All the poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. That's depressing, isn't it? See, Proverbs display the raw power that materialism has in our interactions with our friends. I like books. I like to read. And I had this one book that I had for a long time. One of my spiritual mentors gave it to me, and it had his notes in the side, and, and I had my notes in the side. And I was on the on the mission field, and one of my ex, expat friends it was a book on disciplines, and he says, "Heath, I know you have this book. I need it for uh, to do some teaching to my team. Can I borrow your book?" Ooh, that day I had to choose between my book and my friend. Let's just say I have never seen the book since. I have another. I was just talking yesterday with a couple of friends of mine who are going into business together. And, uh, I was concerned about it. So I phoned my friend yesterday and I, and I said to him, I look, man, are you sure about this? I said, this has the potential to really go south. And my, uh, and my friend wisely said to me these words, he says, "Heath, I am not investing anything that I'm not willing to lose. That's true friendship. See money and our bent towards materialism puts itself at odds with friendship. Our materialism, our desire for stuff and the comfort that goes with it almost forces us to disadvantage others for our benefit. It separates, it isolates and it loosens the bonds of friendship. Proverbs tells us that true friendship is self-sacrifice, financial self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. Materialism combined with betrayal, is a death knell to authentic friendship. That is why Vancouver is a lonely city. That is why many of us here struggle to find deep friends. Betrayal and materialism keep us isolated in cryo chambers. We try to freeze out all of the friends around us so we don't get hurt. But in doing so, we just keep ourselves frozen with entertainment and busyness. But it actually gets worse. We also build false friends. Ironically, we're just like Tom Hanks and Castaway. We build our own Wilsons to actually help us survive. The first is obvious. It's social media. It's an easy target. You know, we think that a carefully curated Insta story on Instagram is a substitute for inst- intimacy. The fact, you know, on Facebook, when you have those yeah, sad, gripping story, and then at the end you get duped and say, if you're my real friend, you will send this to 834 other friends. Like, come on, that's not friendship. Binary code cannot, cannot replace physical friendship. I'm going to say that again because this is important. Binary code cannot replace physical friendship. A Facebook thumbs up doesn't sit next to you in the hospital bed as your mom's dying. An Insta story cleverly articulated with perfect font and the right filter does not help you when you're stuck on the side of the road and needing a lift to work. Social media is not our friend. It's a tool. Sorry. Rant over. Next Wilson we create is in the realm of pets. Now, already people are bristling already. See, they say that a dog is a man's best friend, but I think the person who coined that phrase actually never really had a best friend. So hear me on this, okay? Your dog, your cat, your gerbil, your squirrel, your ferret, they are not best friends. No, hear me on this. I, I, this is probably the first time in my life I have not had a dog, okay? Um, I come from a long line of pet people. My great-grandfather had a pet bear for crying out loud. So hear me on this. Your best friend is not your pet, and it cannot replace human friendship. So the other day, I'm at the corner of Nanaimo and Hastings. I'm in my hood, and I'm crossing the street, and I see this dad. He's got his shirt off, and he's got his jogging, you know, whatever on. I'm like, Lululemon stuff that I can't wear. And he's got a stroller. And I look over and I'm like, oh, cool, pro dad move, right? He's out with the jog with, with the, the baby. So I'm like, I'm at the corner and I, and I lean in to have a look at the baby in the stroller. And, and you know what's coming, right? It's like a scene from Stephen King. And oh, there's a fist of fury and there's teeth everywhere. And I'm like, I just about wet my pants. And so this guy's laughing his head off at me because it was a chihuahua. It was a chihuahua. So let's just say I jaywalked across the street. I was so embarrassed. See, in order to combat loneliness, we anthropomorphize. If I can use that word, our pets and we treat them as human friends. There's a reason why fur baby is a word. Your chihuahua cannot give you sound advice on your financial decisions. Your gerbil cannot confront you on your anger issues. If proverbs is right and that a real friend is loyal, tactful and provides good counsel, then something that eats your couch and leaves a mess in the floor when you leave is not your friend. Now, I of all people know that pets do provide value, but not in the realm of wise and true friends. The last Wilson that we create, well, the last that I'm going to articulate, there's a thousand other of them, but the last one I'm going to articulate this morning has to do with the realm of sexual intimacy. Now, our culture... Uh, in friendships in our culture, they're kind of like, oh, shall we say a unicorn? They don't really exist. So in lieu of that, what we do is that we redefine what friendship means in the absence of wise and true friends. Uh, we equate sexual intimacy with friendship. We think that a shared experience is the same as a loyal friend. The problem is the casual sexual intimacy is based upon what I can get from the other not what I can give to the other. This disadvantage of myself for another. See, the trend that I'm seeing today is that the collecting of sexual partners, sometimes from the same sex, sometimes from opposite sex, the collecting of partners to, to fill the void, to fill the gap that friendship is supposed to have. A plurality of partners, whether it be straight or same sex, is being used to fill the void meant for wise friendships. I see this in the current rise of this trend called um, ethical non-monogamy. Google it. It's a real thing, and it's on the rise. C.S. Lewis describes this issue this way. He says, Those who cannot conceive friendship as a substantial love, but only as a disguise or elab- elab- uh, 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 tongue twister, elaboration of eros or sexual intimacy, betray that the fact that they've never had a friend. The rest of us know that we can have erotic love and friendship with the same person, yet in some ways, nothing is less like a friendship than a love affair. Lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends hardly ever talk about their friendship. Lovers are normally face-to-face, absorbed in each other. Friends, side-by-side, absorbed in some common interest. The plurality of sexual intimacy is no substitute for authentic friendship. So whether it's social media pets or even our what happens in the bedroom, we're still lonely because we settle for substitute friends. We are just like Tom Hanks and Wilson. That leads us to our final point. What do we do about it? How do we rekindle friendship? How do we recreate friends? Proverbs 12.26 says, "'One who is righteous is a guide to the neighbor.'" But the way of the wicked leads them astray. 24, 17, 19 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked. 25, says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord... He makes even his enemies be at peace with him. The way to create, the way to foster, the way to rekindle kindle friendship, is to act righteous, as Proverbs says. In other words, the way to create friendship and grow authentic friends is in the disadvantage of oneself to the advantage of other, sacrifice. Yeah, that's countercultural to us today, isn't it? How is this even possible? When we're a people, we're so culturally mired in relational dysfunction. How do we do this when we're living in a forest of false friends? That sounds like a Radiohead song. How do we be true and wise friends when we realize that in our relationships, we are the ones that advantage ourselves at the expense of others? Turn with me to John chapter 15. Jesus, steeped in the wisdom of Proverbs, he gives us hope here. He gives us a path forward and he says this in John 15, 12 to 16. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in the Father's in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you will love one another. Mired in our loneliness and brokenness in Vancouver in 2019, people, these, should be, these words should be a symphony to our ears. Jesus is our neighbor. Jesus is our friend. Not in a cheesy Mr. Rogers kind of way, but in a proverb self-sacrifice kind of way. God himself sends his son to earth and Jesus dies the death that our betrayal, that our selfishness deserves. So we can actually have a true friend that we don't deserve. Jesus chooses us to be his friend. And he dies horribly to accomplish that. This act on an ultimate level deals with our friendship and loneliness problem. Jesus becomes wisdom and righteousness as described in Proverbs for us by his sacrificial death, by his death, burial, and resurrection. When we acknowledge our inadequacy, when we actually repent and we accept him, he fixes on a personal relational level, our friendship, loneliness problem. We become his friend that still blows my mind. And that act gives us a new heart and the power to live righteous lives. I'll say it another way. When we come to the end of ourselves and we realize that we cannot do it on our own, we repent of making Wilson's in our lives. He chooses, choose to allow Jesus into our hearts to be his friend. He actually gives us a new spirit, a new heart, And that helps us, that helps us navigate, and it helps us to live. Because of this change, Jesus actually, as our friend, we can cast away all these false things that we build up and and erect in its place of friendship. In Jesus, we can choose rescue over Wilson, just like Tom Hanks did. In Jesus, we find rescue. In him, we are satisfied. And through him, by his spirit, we actually have the capacity to make authentic friends to be authentic friends and to not be lonely people, and stemming from that, with Jesus as our friend, we actually have the power to be the friend who disadvantages ourselves for the other. Now, lest you be tempted and say, "Okay, dude, that's whatever. I, I get that in a working theological theory, you know, but does it really work? You know, come on. You're telling me isn't Jesus just like Wilson, an imaginary friend? How does Jesus actually help me in my loneliness?" Can he actually repair my relationships? Well, my friend that I talked about earlier that betrayed me most dearly, a year and a half after I left the organization, he phones me. We're still in Greece. And he asks to come over to my house. Kind of freaked out. He haven't talked to him for like three years. And, and I say, hesitantly, I, I agree. So my former friend sits at my table And apologizes to me, to both my wife and myself, for all the hurt that he caused. Jesus worked on my friend's heart. And he was sitting there asking. He was vulnerable. And he asks at our table for forgiveness. He is no longer a former friend. But he's a valued one who has my back. I just chatted with him yesterday. But it gets better. You know, the boss that I told you about? Ten years after the events of that day, about eight months ago, I receive a look on my phone and it's like, "Oh, that's a Greek number, that's odd, not one that I recognized." And my former boss phones me up and apologizes to me for the way he treated me those many years ago. Let's just say I no longer pray for the demise of their organization. See, the only way that that happens is through Jesus. The only way that that they were able to open up and ask for forgiveness from me, the only way that I was able to open up, knowing that full well I could be stabbed in the back again, was because Jesus changed my heart. Jesus changed my friend's heart. He changed my heart. And between the two of us, Jesus changed all our hearts. And allowed for reconciliation to happen. Through Jesus. That is the only way. Reconciliation happens. So yeah. Jesus is my true friend. And he gives me power to do so. So some of us here this morning. We need to repent. We've been looking for answers. In our loneliness. We've been looking for answers. In false things that give no hope. And no friendship. And they're self-destructive. Now others of you here this morning. Others we're, we're burnt out. We're tired. We have been a good friend and we've been giving and giving and giving, but our cup is so empty that we just don't know what to do. You this morning need to remember that Jesus is your friend and he actually fills you back up. And some of us also here this morning, will walk out of here thinking, Ooh, I got to be a better friend. And you'll walk out of here thinking that you can accomplish that in your own merit. Let me tell you, trying harder and doubling down on your own stuff. Doesn't work. I've tried. This morning, wherever you are on this spectrum, whether it be relational burnout or in the doldrums of loneliness and despair, know that Jesus, if you let him, he gives you the capacity. He is what Proverbs points to. He was betrayed by those closest to him. He first loved us. And in an ultimate way, he disadvantaged himself for us by dying and he becomes our friend. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. People, Jesus is that friend, described in Proverbs. Would you please stand? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.